0: Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. This week we are in Essex, a county very close to my heart. Essex is immediately northeast of London with the longest coastline of any county in England at 350 miles. And though as a keen sailor, I know that most of that coastline is mud. For today's episode we go back to May 2007 when Rihanna, featuring Jay-Z, were number one in the UK charts of Umbrella. Whereas in the US, the number one slot was taken by, and this is a particular favourite of mine, T.P. Payne featuring Young Jock with Buy You A Drank. This was the month when Madeleine McCann disappeared from her bed in Portugal and I bet you all have your own views on this Hope Profile case. Alex Salmond was elected First Minister of Scotland. He was the first Scottish National Party leader to be elected as First Minister after winning an historic victory at the Scottish general election on the 3rd of May. In France, it was a victory for all short men, as Nicolas Sarkozy became president of the country. And at the Cannes Film Festival, the Coen Brothers film, No Country for Old Men, premiered. Now, my memories of that film are of terror for all the wrong reasons. Flying from New York to Vegas, I experienced the worst turbulence of my life. I didn't pay much attention to the plot. It was around seven thirty a m on Friday the twenty fifth of May two thousand seven that a and e staff in Southend General Hospital received a call from the ambulance crew to prepare for a severely injured man with gunshot wounds as the victim twenty six year old Adam Mapleson was rushed into theater. Doctors assessed his condition as critical. The bullet had entered through the chest, traveled upwards and miraculously missed a major artery because it hit the bone which knocked it away. The bleeding it caused though was nothing short of torrential. As well as losing a huge amount of blood, his lung was badly bruised, two ribs were broken, as was his collarbone. To keep him alive, Adam was given twice his body weight in blood and fluid, and doctors even then were unwilling to remove the bullet for causing more damage. As his condition stabilised and he became out of danger, Staff at the hospital slowly heard more details. Rayleigh is a small town in Essex, halfway between Chelmsford and Southend-on-Sea, around 32 miles east of London. On the morning of Adam's shooting, just after 7am, security guard Melanie Williamson had been carrying a cash box containing £20,000 to fill up an ATM at Rayleigh railway station when she was held up at gunpoint. A masked man appeared, brandishing a weapon, and pressed a gun to her stomach, demanding her cash box. She let him have the box of cash, and he ran off towards the road. It was at that moment that IT consultant Adam Mapleson arrived, on his way to catch the train to work. Its normal. As he approached the station, he saw a security guard visibly distressed and a man running in his direction with a cash box in his hand. In a split second, automatic decision. Adam tried to block his escape by body-checking the robber. It was only when the attacker was on the ground that Adam saw that the assailant was holding a gun. He immediately took a step back and held his hands out to his sides. The gunman stopped and very deliberately, at point-blank range, shot Adam on the left-hand side of the centre of his chest. The man ran off as Adam lay on the ground in agony covered in blood. Fellow commuters rushed to help whilst they waited for the ambulance to arrive. There were no early breakthroughs for police. The next month, detectives appeared on the BBC Crime Watch program. If you'd committed the crime and knew it was going to appear on Crime Watch, would you get some beers and pizza to watch the program or would you not watch the program and pretend it wasn't happening? I often wonder that. Detective Superintendent McField of the British Transport Police was leading the investigation. He was confident that someone must have seen the men as they tried to make their escape from the burning white Ford Escort because they opened the cash cassette and triggered a security device containing red dye. He said, This was a callous and premeditated crime. We know they didn't have any disguise, so we've managed to get two very good e-fits and believe they would have been quite distinctive when they ran away from the burning vehicle because of the dye. Some of the witnesses have described them as looking like they had a suntan, but, as anyone who watches the programme The only Way in Essex will know, having a tan certainly doesn't make you stand out in Essex. Hey, I can make these gags as my wife is from Essex. There was a £25,000 reward put up by Loomis, the security people. After the appeal, Field said that the public had given them 25 names of possible suspects. He said that one looked particularly promising added that it was early days. The investigation was slow but detectives linked the attack in Rayleigh to a series of similar robberies that had taken place since 2006. During one attack a security guard had a gun held to his head and two shots were fired at his feet in Bexton, East London as he delivered cash to an ATM. Another robbery in January 2008 in the delightfully named Vange in Essex targeted a security van as a Loomis security guard was taking cash to the post office at Martin's newsagents. As the guard approached the shop, two men wearing fluorescent jackets waved a handgun at him, before threatening him and forcing him to hand over £20,000 in cash. They jumped into a waiting getaway car driven by a third gang member and sped off. Another attack on a security guard, again at Martin's newsagents, this time in Chadwell St Mary Essex close to the West Ham United training ground when 9000 pounds were stolen and the biggest haul taken by the gang was again in Essex at Morrison's supermarket in Whittam when 75000 pounds were stolen it took almost 12 months for the police to find their men in the early hours of the 15th of May 2008 over 150 police officers swooped on three properties Arresting four people suspected of being involved in these robberies. Detectives estimated that in total the gang had stolen over £250,000. The men arrested were all local Essex men Brian Wall, Len Smith, and his brother Terry Smith. All were known to the police, but the surprise of the three and the person who made all the headlines was Terry Smith, a local lad who lived just a few minutes from Rayleigh. In Canvey Island. So just who was Terry Smith? Terry was born in Canning Town, East London in 1959. Throughout a rather fractured childhood on the mean streets of Canning Town and West Ham, he learned the hard way from the abusive father, the value of fear and violence as an all-important mechanism for survival. Whilst at secondary school he was placed into care, but after he became involved in some petty crime he was put into a detention centre in Surrey and then Borstal. When he was about 21, in 1980, he was recruited by a group of old-school professional armed robbers who passed on their knowledge and expertise to him, and he loved it, and also he found out he was good at it. However, his luck did eventually run out, and in June 1983, in Essex at Chelmsford Crown Court, Terry was sentenced to his first spell in adult prison. After being convicted of a number of armed robberies, he was given a 15-year sentence. But in 1984, when he was being transferred from Maidstone Prison in Kent to the high-security Parkston Prison on the Isle of Wight, friends on the outside helped him to escape and Terry broke out of a prison van. As we know, very few people managed this and it gave Terry considerable kudos. Often the best places to blend in is the busiest places, and Terry stayed in central London, in Chelsea, when he was on the run. Not one to keep a low profile, Terry was actively involved in other robberies until he was caught again in June 1986 at Kensal Rise in North London. Terry seriously injured his leg in the incident when he was knocked off his motorbike during the getaway. This was a really nasty injury, where his right leg was almost completely severed from the rest of his body. Oh, imagine that. After a lengthy spell in hospital, he was imprisoned south of the Thames in Wandsworth Prison, until subsequently he was taken back to the Old Bailey, where he was given a sentence of 16 years. It was now that Terry had one of those defining moments we see in the classic crime films. While in prison, Terry vowed to go straight he took GCSEs and open university courses passing with distinction. He was a bright guy. Once released from prison, he decided he would never do anything again to jeopardise being close to his wife and family. And at the time in 2008 that we're talking about now, Terry was still married to his wife, Tracy, and they would three sons and a daughter. In 2008, at the time of his arrest, life was really good for Terry Smith. age 48... He'd reinvented himself from being one of the most successful and daring armed robbers of his generation who'd admitted to being involved in up to 100 armed robberies, to a crime author and personality. I don't mean personality like Eamon Holmes, I mean someone with real personality. His book, The Art of Armed Robbery, was published on his release from prison in 2002. The book's cover shows a shaven-headed robber carrying a bag of swag and pointing a handgun at the camera. The publicity material said, Terence Smith was much more than just another criminal. With a penchant for learning and his sophisticated, clean-cut image, his tale is told of a finesse and intelligence. He is now fully reformed. The book itself is good, and Terry wrote it all himself. There were no ghost authors. The publication of this book, opened up many new avenues for Terry. With a group of other ex-cons, he appeared on the Channel 4 programme, The Heist. The men were set three different tasks in the programme by the producers, to plan and steal a valuable painting, a prototype car, and a million-pound racehorse called Lucky Harry, from the home of horse racing Newmarket. Terry's charisma and knowledge meant he was often invited onto the television to give his view on modern-day, high-profile robberies. When an armed gang notoriously stole £53 million at Tunbridge, Kent in February 2006, Terry appeared on the BBC's flagship news programme, Newsnight. Remember, those were the days when people actually used to watch Newsnight. And when asked to comment on the raid by Gavin Esler, Terry said, Good luck to the robbers. He lectured at schools and universities and was even a consultant for Hollywood movie, Inside Man, a high-tension hostage movie starring Denzel Washington and Clive Owen. Remember that one? Yeah, I I can't quite recall it either, but still, he was a high-profile expert giving advice to the movie. In May 2005, he published another book called Two Strikes and You're Out, and in February 2006, he published a third book called Blaggers, Inc., Britain's biggest armed robberies. At the time of his arrest, he planned more media appearances and to do more writing. In addition, he was with Tracy, his wife, and his children, including a five-year-old boy, Sonny, who he intended to spend more time with. Police had found the three men through DNA. Brian Wall and Len Smith's DNA was found on items of clothing and getaway cars linked to the robberies between 2006 and 2008. In particular, the last robbery was on January 8th 2008 as a cash machine in Basildon, Essex and a baseball cap found near a burned out car had dandruff in it, which was a DNA match for Len Smith. After this, police surveillance officers followed the three men as they were casing out supermarket and cash machines and tailing security guards. Police felt they were probably planning for the next robbery. The three were a really close-knit group, two brothers and a long-term friend. They trusted each other implicitly. The British Transport Police used Terry's book, The Art of Armed Robbery, to link his methods to the robberies and pick off his associates. The book is filled with photographs and details of criminals he'd worked with, including someone called Bubba Turner, who was later revealed to be Brian Wall, part of the gang. As well as being involved in the planning of the crimes, Terry Smith was said to be the driver of the getaway vehicle after the shooting in Rayleigh. In 2009, Terry Smith, his brother Len and alleged accomplice Brian Wall faced trial at Chelmsford Crown Court, the same court where Terry had received his first jail sentence. During the period of the alleged conspiracy, Terry said of his brother, He lives in Dagenham. We rarely saw each other. He kept his own circle of friends in London and I have my own circle of friends and family in Canvey Island. He added that he'd met Brian Wall in prison and that he'd visited occasionally. But that was it. Asked about allegations against him of participating in a series of armed robberies, Smith said, Not true. It's complete and utter nonsense. After a 14-week trial, the jury found Brian Wall, a painter and decorator by trade, guilty of causing grievous bodily harm, with intent for shooting Adam Mapleson in Raleigh, but they cleared him of attempted murder. Wall was also found guilty of conspiracy to commit a string of armed robberies across East London and Essex over a two-year period, and conspiracy to possess firearms in connection with these attacks. Judge Charles Gratwick sentenced Wall to at least 12 years in prison before he could be considered for parole. He said he was a wicked, callous career criminal who carried on planning robberies even after the Rayleigh's shooting. He said, Instead of being sickened by what you had done, you continue to play an active role in the conspiracies, sourcing cars for subsequent robberies. You are, in my judgment, a wicked, callous career criminal. All had already spent three hundred and ninety six days in prison, but he won't be eligible for release unless he can show he is no longer a danger to the public. Judge Gratwick said The making of a release will be for the Parole Board to determine when, or if, you are no longer deemed to be a risk to the public. The jury in the shooting trial failed to reach a verdict on Terry and Lenny Smith. The pair were charged with conspiracy to commit armed robberies and conspiracy to possess firearms for these attacks. The retrial was scheduled for the following year. Tight security costing over one million pounds, was in place at the courthouse for the retrial in 2009. After hearing the evidence, the jury deliberated for six days before coming back with their verdict. They found Harry Smith guilty. The court heard Smith had used literary research as a defence for the crimes. His brother Len was found not guilty of the same charges by jurors. Detective Superintendent Fields, who headed the inquiry, said that Terry Smith was anything but reformed. The conviction of Mr Smith is particularly welcome, said Field. This is a man who has previously touted himself to the media and to the public as a reformed career criminal who had seen the light. But he's a violent, cynical individual with no regard for the law, who was prepared to go to frightening ends to ensure his demands were met. Detectives said that Terry Smith billed himself as a minor celebrity, a robologist and Britain's most wanted man. The judge gave Terry Smith an indeterminate sentence but said he should serve at least 12 years before being considered for parole. In sentencing, the judge said, You carefully planned and researched these robberies. You were involved in watching and observing the delivery of cash in transit. You are dangerous and callous and you were deeply involved. Were it not for your arrest, there would have been further robberies. You tried to explain it all away by saying you would carry out literary research. Terry's wife wept uncontrollably as he was led away from the dock to begin his sentence. As he left the court, he turned and shouted, I have not committed these offences. I do not recognise the sentence as the offence does not exist. How can I be guilty of conspiring to rob a specific Loomis vehicle when GPS records were tampered with to look like I was guilty of the offence. Terry continued to strongly protest his innocence, calling it a deliberate and massive miscarriage of justice. From his prison cell, he always signed letters, strength and honour as always, as he corresponded with a number of people who agreed with him that his conviction was shaky. Terry maintains that the time of the Rayleigh raid, at 7.13am when Adam Mableton was shot, he was in bed with his wife, and his seven year old son, 10 miles away in Canvey Island. One man convinced of Terry's innocence is journalist Neil Root, who has spent time with Terry and looked at the information that he'd compiled behind bars. Writing for Inside Justice, he describes why he feels Terry is innocent. After Terry was arrested for the robberies on the 15th of May 2008, he faced 26 ID parades where he was misidentified as the wrong height, colour, and creed. The witness had seen the robber from a distance of 50 metres for five seconds and had described him as a black-haired, five-foot-tall Indian man. Terry is white, with salt and pepper hair, a powerful build, and is about five-foot-ten inches tall. Terry also claims that this witness had seen him talking about the crime on TV prior to the ID parade. There was also evidence at the trial that Terry had been observed by two police surveillance teams following an old Mercedes Loomis cash van in Basildon in Essex. Terry had explained that he was carrying out research for his book, Blaggers Inc. But this was denounced in court by the police as a big fat lie. And Terry alleges that the police substituted the old Loomis van in the evidence for a newer Ford model. There was no independent corroboration of the Crown's case. At his first trial in May 2009, the jury was discharged but nine months later a second trial convicted Terry. This was based on Loomis tracking documents and Terry is adamant that the evidence is unreliable and unsafe. He's certain that he's been the victim of a conspiracy between the British Transport Police, Essex Police and Loomis Management using manufactured data-track documents. In fact, Terry says that the specific Loomis vehicle was being monitored by police elsewhere in Essex at the time of the robbery at Rayleigh train station. There seems to be major discrepancies in the documentation, which give the appearance of alterations being made, even the misspelling of a place name, which an automated mainframe computer system would surely have spelt correctly. There are also numerous distance, time and speed anomalies. Additionally, on requesting CCTV footage of the relevant day for the railway station robbery, Terry's team was informed that CCTV was only archived for 48 days. Similarly, three key Loomis employees, who Terry claims gave false evidence at his trials, have since left Loomis and their work computers have been wiped of all data relevant to Terry's case, according to Loomis' head office. Neil Root contacted the British Transport Police in late 2012 to ask to speak to Detective Field, who led the investigation he was told he could not speak to Field as he had resigned. Following that, a Freedom of Information request by Terry Smith revealed that Field, a recipient of the Queen's Police Medal for Distinguished Service in 2010, had retired early. Likewise, the detective in charge of the very questionable ID evidence at Terry's retrial, Detective Constable Philip Caldwell, had also left the force prematurely and had the disclosure officer Detective Constable Martin Hand. Terry Smith had earlier made an allegation of serious police misconduct by the British Transport Police and when he asked if these resignations were in relation to this, the British Transport Police refused to confirm or deny it. Terry has also learned from the Independent Police Complaints Commission that Inspector Russell Bush of Essex Police, who was in charge of ANPR data tracking in Terry's case, has been demoted to the rank of Police Sergeant as he attended false evidence at Mr Smith's trial. As Terry Smith himself says, Apparently, the robbers had left a wealth of evidence behind at the scene of the crimes, including DNA, fingerprints, CCTV, handwriting, telephone evidence, but not one iota of this incriminating evidence was directly linked to me. At one stage during this huge inquiry, my name was added to, and then completely erased from a hot list of 148 suspects. Of course, it's hard for us to know the reality of what Terry Smith says about the evidence. In the end, he was found guilty by a jury, but Terry certainly believes he's innocent. In May 2016, Terry Smith challenged a public protection decision to imprison him indefinitely at London's Criminal Appeal Court. At this court, he argued that he did not pose a danger to the public but a panel of three senior judges disagreed and confirmed his original sentence that he would not be eligible for parole until he has served 12 years of his sentence. In October 2016, Terry Smith failed in a court appeal to force Essex Police to release number plate recognition information he claimed would prove his innocence. He insisted one of the activities which led to his arrest following a cash transit van was actually research for a book he was writing. On February 28th, 2008, he was driving a Vauxhall Vectra along the A127 in Essex. Smith and his passenger were stopped and arrested by police on suspicion of conspiracy to rob. At trial, he alleged a force tampered with evidence by changing the details of the fan he was following. He believes CCTV footage and number plate recognition data will support his version of events. Essex Police refused his request to release the data and refused to confirm or deny whether it still even held the information citing data protection reasons. A tribunal in 2014 ruled that the force's decision was lawful leading Smith to lodge an appeal which was heard by an upper tribunal judge. In her judgement in October 2016 Gwyneth Knowles QC said The submissions made by Mr Smith centre on his bluntly expressed belief that Essex police have behaved wrongfully by fitting him up. I express no view on that allegation, and nor am I in a position to make findings on it. I have come to the clear conclusion that this ground of appeal has no merit, and accordingly, I dismiss it. As we have heard today, Terry Smith is insistent that he is innocent, and many agree with him. However, although for Terry the fight goes on, The reality is that he could spend the rest of his days behind bars. Terry thinks he needs a high-profile supporter or two, similar to the last case we covered last week when Eddie Browning was released, as the clamour over his case became so high-profile that it could no longer be ignored. Clearly, we don't know the details in depth, but it's hard to see why he would go back to crime after forging a different career, making money on his previous career in crime without the risk. But then again, maybe he couldn't resist the easy money. Either way, I think it's certainly a case that I'll continue to follow closely. As usual in similar cases, my real sympathy is with Terry's family. His wife Tracy has spent most of her married life without her husband and she's once more left on her own to raise her family. And what about his children? By all accounts, Terry is a very bright, charismatic man. But I'm sure that more than anyone... He knows just how much more of an impact he could have had on his children if he wasn't in prison. As for Adam Mapleson, the so-called have-a-go hero from Rayleigh, I wonder how he feels about his actions on that morning in 2007. In the end, he received a pretty paltry £2,000 compensation for his physical injuries. But who knows how much of an impact the longer-term psychological issues have had on his life. He said it was a spur of a moment reaction to intervene and he would do exactly the same again. I wonder how you or why would react in a similar situation. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Please head to our website at UKTrueCrime.com have a look at what's going on there. To support the show, please head to our Patreon page patreon.com forward slash UKTrueCrime or of course please help us out by leaving one of those fantastic five-star reviews on iTunes or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. That's it for me for this week. So until next week when we speak again, cheerio. With the Lucky Landslides, you can get lucky just about anywhere.